0: betmgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly see betmgm.com for terms 21 plus only virginia only new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days please gamble responsibly gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER promotional offer not available in washington dc
1: my family thinks i'm crazy podcast where i your host try to give you some tips on how you can explain all this weird, wild, crazy conspiracy stuff to the people you love most. Because that's what I've been trying to do for the past 10 years with no success. I've been telling
0: everybody that I have them in a shade. But every time I do, my family thinks I'm crazy.
2: of a big cycle right now on the cosmic level that is of proportions we have never seen as humans. The human residents is through the roof. You know, people don't talk about our space weather, which is more important, in my opinion, than regular weather right now, especially this time of year. We're having hits that are, are pushing five and a half and well, constant four and a half. So we get seven, we're all fried. And so I, I, I feel between that between the, the convergences that we're having planetary convergence along with the sun it, it's been pretty incredible from a astrological standpoint but just from the regular human being i mean if you're not feeling this stuff man I, I like it but i mean damn it's gotta be i mean i wake up from a full moon i feel like someone i went four rounds with my ice
1: When synchronicity strikes, it strikes. And for worse or for better, we have to learn to make the most of it. Today's guest suffered a traumatic brain injury at a very young age and since has had very strange experiences on the precipice of the Twilight Zone. And stay tuned for the end. This is a Friday Double Feature. And I will be re-airing a conversation that I had on the Third Eye Awakening podcast with Amy Belair, who was mentioned in my conversation with Michael Sloggett. Thank you so much for being here, folks. And you know the deal. Show us some love on Patreon. Get exclusive content that you can't find anywhere else. Get early releases of every audio episode. And if video's your thing, we got a rock thing, folks. And I'm doing my best. make sure the video goes equally on patreon and rockfin so whichever flavor you prefer show us some love and keep this train on the tracks the other new way you can support the show is with our teespring that's right we have new merch all sorts of different designs i just i'm pumping out designs all day most of them are made by me and a couple of them are made by some really cool artists who were kind enough to share their talents with the show. If you're a talented person, help us out. Hit me up on Instagram at MyFamilyThinksImCrazy. Let me know what you're talented in, what your talents are, and if you think they can apply to the show, you're gonna get a shout out, like my friend at BagsDraws, who was kind enough to send over some really cool logos. Another shout-out to Brian on the Patreon. Shout-out to you, brother. I think it's Rhythmic Dragon is your spirit animal name. He made a really awesome design for the Your Handbook for the Apocalypse podcast, which is on a hiatus. Sign up on the Patreon to get the full story. Mike is okay. The Masons did not murder him. I was there. I protected him. And if you want to know the full story, sign up on our Patreon. Michael Wan is a okay. Anyways, folks, that does it. No extended outro on this episode. Just a conversation with Amy Belair. Be sure to follow her at the Third Eye Awakening podcast. And you can also find a second conversation with Michael Sloggett over there on uh, her podcast. So look at that. Maybe you listen to that after you listen to this. Anyways, folks, thank you for being here. Enjoy your Friday if you're listening to this when it's released. We're recording this on 2-2-20-22. In bulk, Groundhog's Day. A lot is going on, and I've got a lot to say. So sign up on the Patreon to hear it all, and stay tuned. Monday, we got a great episode coming out going to be fantastic it's with a new podcaster his name is josh bellamy and he's got a podcast called the illusionary tales of reality so stay tuned for that and enjoy your weekend folks thank you so much for being here in the now and enjoy this conversation with michael Sloggett, and secondly a conversation with myself and amy Belair. all right
0: initially
2: yeah i was just seeing crazy synchronicities everywhere. I mean, unexplainable things, knowing what people were going to say down to the, you know, the sentence, to the word, not deja vu by any means, and not on my normal path either, you know, right? if it was something that I could put, you know, my finger on, I would have, but so it was kind becoming kind of concerning and I had a past of seeing things You know, and hearing things and not with a mental, you know, history or anything, but more spiritual and kind of knowing, but not knowing, you know, not really thinking too far into it, but reached out to her and started sharing with her a lot of the stuff I went through and she was like, well, yeah, we should definitely dig into that. (laughs) And it just brought out a whole lot of crazy information. I mean, right from the get go. I mean, the first five minutes we started talking, it was pretty pretty wild. So, right um, on. Highly recommend anybody who can get get a session with her. It's pretty crazy. The Akashic Records will, those light codes will tell her. I mean, I I I'm a skeptic at heart. I think we all are a little bit, right? And I haven't had a a reading like that before meeting her. And I had this stray dog come on my property, my my marijuana girl. And, you know, no collar. We're out in the middle of the country. It happens all the time. Dogs jump off at the gas station. They start roaming. Whatever. I didn't think anything of it, but this dog would not leave my side. I mean, it was yelping and want me to pet it. And I had no idea where it came from, anything like that. Took it around town. Couldn't find an owner. Anyway, short story long. I I asked her, I said, hey, I know it's going to sound really stupid and dumb, but just a little icebreaker. Like, can you tell me about this crazy dog that, you know, just wants to become part of our family? And she described both of my other dogs first to the T, like (laughs) eerily to, you know, color their hair, nails, all this stuff. And then she goes, and then started describing the stray and what that, I mean, it, it was. There's no way to to pick that. You know, the dog walked up an hour before our conversation, so that was kind of proof in the pudding. And the family history and ancestral history that she tapped into was spot on, and thing, in, in correlation with history that I was told. And so, a very incredibly gifted person, and it it kind of helped my awakening process by you you somewhat believe in, in those types of things until you really, really it touches you physically for, you know, on a on a reading or something like that. And then you open your eyes up to a lot more. I think it, it definitely did me, you know, it help, help align my spiritual path quite a bit.
1: right, um, right. right and I that. I've never received uh, that from from Amy. I definitely I'm interested in, in reaching out to her for that. She asked me to join her on her show again. So maybe we'll, we'll work that into it somehow, but yeah, very cool. So, you know, we talk a lot about synchronicity on this show. Was there something synchronistic about you finding Amy in particular? Had you heard of the Akashic record before and, and like, where were you at? Like before you had this kind of experience?
2: Well, my wife was Hawaiian and God rest her, she passed away about three years ago this, this week, but so after that happened, you know, I had started, you know, feeling her around seeing messages, seeing signs, seeing Cardinals, seeing all these different things that just the numbers were incredibly evident everywhere that was the first obvious thing but i think that all the other animals the you know just presence feeling her presence smelling her the kids smelling her you know we moved a hundred miles a couple hundred miles away there's no reason for us to smell her anywhere and it happens quite often when they're around but you just kind of start to pick up on it more you know as you pick up on one thing you notice another and it's kind of like i i equate it to when you buy a new car you don't notice all the ford focuses on the road until you buy one <clears throat> it's like everybody in in their mom owns one you know mm. and so it's kind of it's kind of like that you just start picking up on it more or i did at least and it i, I was listening to tinfoil hat i'm a, a big fan you know never met those guys but been a been a long time listener and my wife being hawaiian there is a couple of actual and forgive me for not knowing the name but the practitioner there on the big island or maui the hunas uh,
1: is it the hunas i don't think it's the hunas it it's because i know that's some sort of
2: similar to Kentombe.
1: oh okay Um, yeah well i've never been i just know you know that one term because i I briefly looked into hawaiian spirituality but my girlfriend might know she's been she spent some time in hawaii but okay sorry for the derailment
2: no 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 worries there um the it's it's similar to contemple contemple it's it's very similar but Acelin is her name and she's goes if you want to check her out at singswithtrees.com well she's out of oregon and another incredibly just talented gift in person well she had done a reading with my daughter because it was a friend of a friend thing and she said you you just got to talk to this lady and i didn't do a reading i got one for my daughter because it was such a highly recommended thing she had been complaining about our house and the entities she was seeing and every night you know nightmares awful things um Repetitively. So I've said, Hey, we got to start doing something. I've had the house clean cleanse, but a couple of people with sage and other things and didn't seem to work, but after she spoke with Aislinn, things got very calm, <clears throat> calm around the house, around Mila and Aislinn was clearing things uh, unbeknownst to me. I didn't know what, what that was at the time. This was a few years ago. And, um, so I was like, huh. Okay, so I started looking into it and ended up doing a session with her. And this is actually just before I met Amy. So a good year and a half or a year or so went by. And so I did this session, a very light cleansing. It was a very good grounding meditation. And then went into some of my family history and kind of just did a light cleansing on me. And I really didn't feel a whole lot. To tell you the truth, I could tell that she definitely knew her stuff, but it wasn't very, it wasn't like when I met Amy, Amy's was like right off the bat, like a talent show, you know, (laughs) dancing with the stars, boom, you know, look at this and with Ace, Ace, it was more of a gradual thing. And she has shown me, I think she's more of a mentor. Amy's all about the info, you know, that's the difference between I think and Tonwe and me butchering that word again, can Akashic record readers or light code readers because, you know, Amy gets all her stuff in light codes and downloads and these things that only people like her can read. And so I think with Aislinn, you know, it's more of a a messaging, you know, kind of a remote viewing style, I think, Mm -hmm. psychic ability. And, but the difference between the two is incredible and it the positivity from them both though is, is extremely high and the affirmation you can get from it's incredible.
0: So Yeah. Wow,
1: I'm getting a little bit of a flashback there because it's reminding me of you know and I had a very similar skeptical feeling coming into this, but I, I remember At a a low point in my life, you know, probably like my first or second girlfriend broke up with me or something when I was in college and I went and had this Reiki healing session. And, you know, like I said, kind of skeptical. I could relate to how you you mentioned that towards the beginning of what you said and had this Reiki session that 10 minutes, I think, was, was what it was billed as, 10, 15 minutes. I'm telling you, I sat there. I felt like I was there for an hour, you know, and she like <laughs> snaps her fingers and gets me out of my, you know, stupor and I'm like, it's over. Huh? Wow. Okay. You know? And, and she's like, you know, yep, yeah, we're all done. And I'm like, how, how long, you know, has it gone by? It really was a, like a significant memory lapse or time lapse. And, and yeah, you know, I kind of pushed onwards further and further into knowing about this type of stuff, I can't say I've done any Reiki myself, but yeah, I I wonder, you know, with these entities bumping around the house. You said after your daughter spoke with Aisling, it kind of cleared up. Was there any other odd experiences that stood out since then?
2: Yeah, you know, there's still a little hooded jacket kid around here, and I think he's fairly new to tell you the truth. I think my daughter. Drags people around. She's incredibly empathic as well, and I mean, she has troubles for weeks at a time sleeping, as it is because of her visions and her dreams. But then, you know, seeing stuff physically, and you know, that's that's really that that was tough for her. And I think uh, again, since then, she she sees it very infrequently, but I think it's going to be a thing for her for the rest of her life and part of my journey is helping her figure out how to navigate that journey as well and that's one of the things that Aislinn and I are figuring out (laughs) together so to speak I'm gonna try to get her up there to do it's funny you mentioned Reiki because it's similar to Reiki but it's it's kind of like an intense massage with heat stones and some other things that they do I don't want to go too far into it cause I'm not that educated on it, but it's, it's almost like intensive outpatient therapy, the way that you release what you want to release, it's a shamanistic kind of, and think of it as an emotional lymphatic release, so to speak. And she's really highly recommending it for my daughter, probably myself as well, but definitely a, a physical thing you got to be there for. I think that, it, you know, you think of things like Kimbo, you know, Kimbo, they use the frog venom. They scratch little, little circles in your shoulder or back of your neck or areas and they they dose you with the frog venom and that cleanses. I mean, you just start throwing up. You know, mm. in mean, fact like, yeah, I remember seeing, I think
1: Hamilton Morris did something like it, one of the earlier things he did with Viceland where he went and, and tried that. He said it was Kimba is the group that traditionally uses that type of uh, frog venom there.
2: Correct. It's Cambo. Uh, oh, okay. K-A-M-B-O, I believe. Uh, okay. And there's places around, you know, the states that you can see certified practitioners for it and at I least mean, there's a place in dallas for instance that one of my friends goes to and she sees celebrities there on the regular because i guess the detoxification properties of it are just there's nothing matching it so
1: yeah i find it so interesting i had chris matthews uh, specifically frogs and I, I bring up chris matthews because he had He's great yeah yeah i'm I'm sure you've heard of him. He was a guest on the show, uh, host of Forbidden Knowledge News and a couple other sort of series
0: yes, that I they could do. It's not to
2: derail you, but <laughs> me, he doesn't sound a little bit like Aziz. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, I love the guy, but if I tell someone who did my passenger seat that it's a they freaking believe it a hundred percent of the time. <laughs> test, test that theory.
1: I'll test that. I, I'll I, test that for sure.
2: A hundred percent Okay, sorry.
1: <laughs> no, You're that's okay. all right. That's all right. Yeah, <laughs> I'll definitely give that a shot. I haven't heard a Z's anywhere in a while, so I don't know if many of my friends will get that reference. But the frog that Chris Matthews saw. I guess I don't want to say it was a frog. I think it was a frog, but there was another being that he experienced that was kind of frog like and you know this theme of oh yeah of frogs kind of
2: Yeah, I actually remember that.
1: Yeah, he might have talked about it elsewhere, maybe listen to it on my show, but either way the the frog, the frog entity and the fact that frogs are associated not only with this uh, and I don't know the proper you know, chemical term for it, but whatever is combo, right? And then we also have the 5-MEO-DMT that's in, I think it's like the Sonora Desert Toad, right? So Mm -hmm. there's this interesting connection between frogs and entheogens and even like frogs and mysticism and magic going into multiple different cultures, mythologies. So I wonder what it is about frogs and why they, you know... (laughs)
2: It's the, I don't know. It's funny because they're so unassuming yet they can just knock you dead. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> immediately, you got to respect that.
1: Yeah. Know? Well, I, and there, I, there's something I, mystical about them when they're all croaking out in the distance at the night too, you know?
2: Well, you, you know, it's, it's funny. how have the, the second highest military ranking people, you know, warriors in our, American military, for instance, are frogs. You know, it's frogs and seals. So wow, it, 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 it's kind. I mean, I don't know. You got to be amphibious. You, you're you're dangerous in water, and land. they can they can commit. You know, they're like chameleons. There, they're pretty interesting. The more I think about there. Thanks for that. I'll be pondering frogs all night. now.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it brings up <laughs> it brings up the question again of like all these different entities and strange creatures, some of which maybe have interacted with our military, right? The greys, the mm-hmm. reptilians. And I just got this book in the mail. Um, it's called the extraterrestrial species guide. And it's just a, a list <laughs> that book
2: you you have the, the drawings are awesome.
1: Oh my gosh. <laughs>
2: They're pretty freaking spot on though, from the other things that I compare them to my well, friends. That's it? it's great I
3: love
1: it. since you've seen it and I definitely need to take some pictures and put it in our telegram for people who might not have but the the pictures are great I say they're hilarious I don't know if you noticed but the the <laughs> men the men all look a certain way so I don't know my mom That's was very bad. my yeah. mom was very into that book I'll just say that she's like got facial hair yeah and nipples either they're all like ken dolls i'm like what the heck is going on with all these aliens but yeah it's a it's reminded me of
2: the the guys you know the hobbit the elf yes
1: yes they all
2: had facial hair they all have that same long white hair that's That's a great yeah that's a Falcon had going on there
1: (laughs) well i mean that is a really that is a really stark comparison now that you point that out i mean there is this whole connection between fairy lore and E.T. lore. I know, speaking of Tinfoil Hat, they just had Joshua Cutchen on who talks about that in his latest book. And probably most of his uh, books on the subject, He he touches on this idea that these entities have existed on the periphery of our society for, you know, Many, eons. many centuries. Yeah, yeah, eons, exactly. So, and, But my point in bringing up that extraterrestrial species guidebook, other than to to joke about it because it is a little funny to see those pictures, is just the range of entities that people experience seeing. And I, I don't think that that book even captures all of them because I've heard like Dog Owl, Man, right. Owl Man, you know, there's all sorts of strange creatures that are, are out there.
2: Well, I mean, you think about it too, little circle back here, but Hawaii, the mini Huni, that, mm. those were, you know, the people who built Hawaii, they were the ones, they go to bed at night and they wake up the next morning and a whole dam would be built. They built all of Maui, you know, they built all of these, these things that you go down there and that's, that's the high school, you know, instead of the Spartan, it's the mini Huni, cause they're fierce little warriors and crazy. They'll, they'll kill you too. And, and you, you know, it's. One of the, my favorite books, and I'm not totally finished with it, but it's called The Dancing Wu Li Masters, W-U-L-I Masters. Okay. It's, it's not what you'd think, but it's actually a physics book. Um, and even if you know nothing about physics, as I did a while back, I think that it lays it out in layman's terms very well. And we've found that all the ancient Chinese mysticism, all of the... The stuff that you'd read in, in folklore, and I shouldn't say all of it, but a big chunk of it, we're proving correct today with particle physics and different things that are going back to these mystic teachings, you know, and that's what they they speak about, the dancing movie masters, that these guys can control things using their mind and... Other other elements, energies in their bodies, and we're just now today figuring out the science somewhat a little bit, let's say uh, getting our toes wet, you know with that from a you know a quantum physics standpoint, and so the fact that all of those things, the ancients and and their ritualistic magic their all of these things are coming right back to a, a circle here at this time, you know where they were talking about like Chris Matthews and, and, and his, he had one that it was like one of those guys. They're the insects that eat all the other insects, uh, praying mantis being, you know, and I think that's what visited me as well, because there's just no being that's explained even in that crazy book you got there. Wow. looks like them.
1: You know, synchronicity yeah. alert, and we still don't have the bell for it, but I'm going to get the sound effect because we need it. <laughs> Our <laughs> last guest, uh, Donut from the Donut Factory on YouTube, had a Wi-Fi, what he calls a Wi-Fi mantid experience. So... Are you saying uh, you had a similar experience with the uh, with the mantids?
2: I think that's what it was, and that's what Amy said as well because they freaked her ah, out a little bit. And I'd love to ask her a little bit more about it. She's so busy nowadays. It's 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 incredible. But you know what? Uh, that's wild.
1: Yeah, I just heard. I think it was Lon Strickler on the Higher Side chats an old episode, probably from five years ago now, um, talking about how he's heard a theory that the gray aliens are sort of like a a pupa or caterpillar version of the mantids, right? Like they, they evolve into mantids the same way a caterpillar evolves into a butterfly. Cool. (laughs) That's I've
2: heard that one before, but I have heard that they are little drones basically controlled mm. by those mantids and other higher beings, but they're i haven't heard that cocoon theory i I, I dig that that's very interesting because there's so many sizes of those damn grays right 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 there is
1: very yeah there is varying uh, depictions and even going back into history like we're saying with certain fairy lore and i've even seen that uh lamb drawing that crowley depicted that kind of looks like a gray it also kind of Looks like a a person with <laughs> with leprosy or something. So I don't know. But tell us about your experience. Is there?
2: I was I was when I was five, actually, I got hit T-boned by a semi truck, and I kind of explained the story on Amy's podcast. But what had happened is, short story long, I had a gear shift go into my skull, cut off half of my left ear, went into my skull, and my uncle pulled me off of that gear shift and carried me to the ambulance with the, it hit my ear in his mouth and a um, really bad accident. You know, we were in a tiny car. It was a 18 wheeler. And so I had to have reconstructive skull surgery. I had to kind of remember, I could remember people fairly well, but not much else. And I still have no memory obviously before that, but. I had to remember how to walk. Motor skills were pretty awful, but I think what happened there was my harmonics personally were adjusted. I think if, when you look at everybody's skulls, we have these sutures going. You know, there's scientific terms for them, but basically cracks a little in your skull. That's what your skull grows together as you as you age. You know, when you come out of a baby, it's not even. So you have a soft spot and your skull's just growing together. Right. So I think it's because my skull came apart and they put it back together. I don't think I had the same and never have had the same resonance, so to speak, as everybody else. My precog abilities are pretty, pretty darn sharp nowadays. And I realized that I've been using it my whole life. You know, Amy was pointing things out even. Mm. So I think that that physical. Imparity created a gift, if you will, that I'm still to this day, barely learning how to utilize and, and know how to use it all. But the recognition of it being there's been part of my awakening in itself. And that led me to, you know, when you're talking about that, that was my first experience, I was about seven, I think, and I was in our first house in Texas. And I, my mom and dad were on their bed in the master bedroom. I was like playing with toys and doing something and came in there. And then I was looking at both of them hanging out, you know, paying bills or something on their bed, you know, (laughs) at the time. And then all of a sudden they were frozen. I turned around and there was these three, seemed like eight foot tall, but I guess our ceilings were probably eight foot tall back then, but extremely tall. You know, from what Amy and, and both me describe, it's, it's not your typical reptilian by any means. It has more of a upside down triangle shaped somewhat face, but kind of flattened at the same time. If you took that shape and kind of flattened it if the, from the tip to the top and very strange, long, you know, circular or spherical eyes, but not going up and down like a gray going you know, horizontally, side to side, more or less. And so I've never seen anything on TV or the movies or anything like that, that comes close to describing it or showing it visually that I've ever seen. I may maybe drawn it twice in my life, to be honest too. And, um, hearing other people talk, I think it is some sort of Mantean or similar species and, as you were saying earlier, that book probably doesn't have half of them in there. <laughs> well, yeah. and, and The well, ones that I hear about today, at least.
1: Well, and we think about, you know, how vast space is and all this stuff they tell us about space. I don't disbelieve space. I definitely distrust NASA, but if you consider the possible multidimensional dimensional reality of these beings it's it's really like an infinite variety of possibilities that could occur but wow man i mean yeah i'm really you know at a loss for words because you know i want to say i'm glad you're still here you know because what you went through is is like huge and probably you know obviously in this kind of x-men savant way gave you these precognitive abilities and it's, you know, it's something that's, you know, really hard to, to come to grips with. I'm sure, obviously you're much older than you were when that happened, but, but yeah, man, I, I always, I always really gravitated towards the whole X-Men superheroes more than any other. And it's because of that. I feel like there is something really real about, you know, this type of traumatic initiation, you know, I mean, you see it in shamanic cultures, you see it with people who have, you know, tragic accidents. And, you know, one that sticks out in my mind is the case for this guy, I think he dove headfirst into a a pool, really damaged his brain. And then after a, a few months of kind of recovering, he just had this savant ability to play the piano and he never was even a musician in his life, you know? And, and it's just, it, it begs the question like, where is consciousness? It's clearly, it's not in here. If, if, if the, you know, being is being damaged and then these kind of strange abilities come afterwards, it almost seems like, you know, that is opening up or making room for this Mm -hmm. higher potential rather than limiting it, you know?
2: Well. I mean, I think we all have our governors on full blast, so to speak, and toned us down as vibrational beings to the Mm. the core. And when you, I'm trying to think of a good way to describe it. It's kind of tough. It's like in relationships, you can't be with someone who's so a a bigger, a lower vibration than you, it just won't work. And it's the same way with compatibility and evolution and the law of mathematics really in in odds because if you don't trip and fall and make an accident happen every now and then you don't have that law of improbability factoring into evolution which therefore creates that thing that no one can think of right Mm, so right it it has to happen Uh, you know suffering has to happen to feel joy you'd have to you know, you have to have a black sheep in there every now and then to, to make the DNA compatible and create something down the line that's different or else we're just too similar and we call it accidents. But I mean, I've been in put blowing glass a hundred times and we make something that we screw up and then some crazy designer lady comes in and says, I'll take like a thousand of those. I'm like, well, shit. I, that was a screw up, lady. You know we got to screw up a thousand of these damn things, you know. But I think invention is comes out of necessity. But I think most good inventions were intended for other purposes, mm. and I think evolution is worth it, uh,
1: right? Right. Honestly, yeah. And I hadn't known that you were blowing glass. It kind of re- relates to the kind of harmonic frequency that you mentioned in the notes, but also. That we've touched on briefly here and i wonder you know what modalities have you played with in that realm and do you kind of incorporate that in that crafts or that skill of you know creating glass artwork
2: in the glass world you you know just knowing when to say when is a big deal when is it hot enough when is it too cold when is my shaping sculpting done and i can't do it anymore you know, makes the piece too fragile, and predictability is in that a hundred percent. and so no, I mean it comes with wisdom and time and and so knowing that you've you' made those mistakes, quote unquote, which are really learning lessons in my opinion, you're going to know when to take that thing and and be done with it or heat it up again so it doesn't fall off the end of the rod but when it when it comes to Everything else, I mean, it applies just everywhere. I thought I was going to hit a deer and I, and I was like, you know what? I was just talking about it last night. It keeps coming up in my head. Until the kids, I got two kids. I was like, you know what guys, let's get up early and go get donuts. And I just wanted to break out of the routine and boom, sure enough, I nailed that deer on the way to get donuts and is it precog? I don't know. That particular one was stupidity for leaving earlier than rather than later, in my opinion. But being able to predict what people say down to the sentence though these days, or the word when I'm at random place in different city is freaking yeah a little bit Uh, i can imagine and that that
1: precog (laughs) with the donuts i mean you can't blame yourself but at the same time it does make you wonder like oh geez like what's well what was it about those donuts like is that you know what is it what is the significance (laughs) there (laughs) well maybe maybe you should have ate that venison (laughs) that fell in your lap on the way to get donuts what's
2: crazy is i was in a big truck and my tires were the only thing that that thing touched, and it just scared the pejeebus out of the kids and me. But, yeah, I mean, just knowing small things that you think are insignificant, that would have killed me on a motorcycle. Yeah, if, no. You know? uh, yeah, and, you but... know, no,
1: not not to, you know, laugh about the deer. I mean, all life is sacred, but, you know... It is one of those things where unfortunately in this modern world, you know, you got to do the best you can to keep yourself safe. And it's not particularly always your fault that deer run into the road. You know, I think it should be the the state to make these little wildlife passages. I don't know. I've seen some states do that, but, but yeah, it happens. You know, you can, you
2: should get a, you should get a couple hours off of future community service for that PETA. You know, commercial, you just it. its really good. <laughs> yeah. i a lot of future, poor posts towards it, you know, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, I think that on the daily, it's one of those things that's been increasing. I also believe that we're at the end of a big cycle right now on the cosmic level that is of proportions we have never seen as humans, as human residents, is through the roof. You know, people don't talk about our space weather, which is more important in my opinion than regular weather right now, especially this time of year. And uh, you know, there we're we're having hits that are are pushing, you know, five and a half and you know, constant four and a half and you know, we get seven, we're all fried. And so I I I feel, you know, between that, between the, the the convergences that we're having, planetary convergence, you know, along with the sun, it, it's been pretty incredible from an astrological and astronomer, astronomer's um, standpoint. But just from the regular human being, I mean, if you're not feeling this stuff, man, you must be just swinging a hammer all day. No offense to anybody swinging a hammer all day. I, I like it, but I mean, damn, it's got to be, I mean, I wake up from a full moon. I feel like someone, I went four rounds with Mike Tyson, you know, <laughs> and I think that's what Amy and some of these other people try to describe to new impacts or people who are waking up because you don't realize how physically going into a room, a restaurant where there's just a bunch of negative people or, you know, meeting someone who's supposedly this really cool new person and you can really tell that they're just a pile of dirt you know it's kind of tough I think and in, in those aspects and thankfully people like Amy and Aislinn have really helped me out and
1: others too not the others. I feel it man I maybe I should again maybe I should uh mention that to Amy when I talk to her because yeah that's a big reason why I enjoy what I'm doing now you know staying home working from my computer it used to be you know delivering stuff was my way to have a job where I didn't really interact with that many people. I ended up interacting with most, you know, with some people, but most of the time I had headphones on and was listening to a podcast. Right. So, but <laughs> before that, it was a lot of jobs where, yeah, you would kind of feel this like negative energy from coworkers. And I was always baffled as to why people were just content with like complaining all the time. Cause Yeah, it affected me when I was in a neutral mood, but I saw how like getting myself charged up and being positive also benefited me, and it just made me realize like, oh well, there's no reason to complain because even if I am experiencing something that's stressing me out or or making me feel a certain way, vocalizing it is only gonna you know add to it and maybe even yeah spread it around, which seems to be you know something people kind of rejoice to do at certain jobs. What do you but. think
2: that is when you were feeling that way? I mean, in my opinion, I think that's our ego. You know, when there's you see someone complaining and they're complaining because their ego is too big to just ask for help, yeah. right, in my opinion. And when you learn to ask yourself and others for that assistance, you don't hear that complaining anymore. Right. Um, someone's putting out their fire, you know, or helping them do it, hopefully.
1: Right. And that's the that's the medicine we need, you know, whether it comes from, you know, Amy Belair, you or me and anybody listening to this show, tuning in to hear this message. You know, I think that's kind of a big reason why I enjoy being a part of this community and and meeting new people and dabbling in new topics that I, for the most part, have heard of. But, you know, I'm kind of. I'll say I haven't experienced anything really that paranormal, you know, so I don't come to this kind of subject with, with that much personal experience, even though I am fascinated and I have been for my whole life. But when it comes to psychedelics and medical marijuana, I guess I've used marijuana medically before it was really, you know, (laughs) thought of that way. Easily done. Yeah. Well, and yeah, easily done. That was, I mean, it's still not easily done where I live, but, but it's legal at least. So I don't have to worry about getting put in a prison for it. But, but yeah, when I got into smoking weed, I noticed that it had this like mind altering effect that went beyond just like, it, it it was a, like an initiation you know and for whatever reason i didn't notice that in my peers maybe they had their own personal initiation into things that they were interested in in whatever way that manifested but it really felt like for whatever reason cannabis sharpened my intuition to s- sort out these things i was curious about you know the occult the esoteric everything having to do with shamanism and and psychedelics which I have some experience with but I've never done like the big one ayahuasca or or you know the man-made version of it DMT but but yeah with my psychedelic experiences I've I've sort of amped up synchronicity but I've never really like broken through to another realm so I still kind of come to it from that skeptical perspective but I'm wondering if if you yourself you know had this initiation process through this, uh, I mean, I'll relate it to shamanism because there's a certain amount of rite of passage and trauma to what you experience. but, you know, cannabis, how early did you find that as a, as a tool or a
2: medicine? It's funny that you said that too, because I think cannabis obviously was the first thing that I, I tried. And when you said that, my friend, you know, I'm not sure if my friend said that. Create initiation. I think mine was literally an initiation in the back of the car. And my <laughs> buddy, She goes, Man, you know what? You need to try this. And I said, Why? He goes, Because I think you'd be a lot cooler if you just got hot. <laughs> God, it was like, you know. That's
1: pretty much cold. how it happened <laughs> for me.
2: <laughs> <laughs> you know? And so I get baked, right? And the first time I didn't really even get high. The second time I smoked, I got pretty baked. And I just didn't talk as much. I laughed a lot more and I ate everything in sight. And, you know, we were all soccer player, kind of dork sci-fi nerds, you know. And I mean, boy, did we really get even more into sci-fi and anything that you could really get your hands on back then, but was mainly comic books. So yeah. my point and so is that that we just made a dumbass comic really, really interesting. And in all food, you know, it's like Pete Dave. I think it was Pete Davidson, but I don't want to steal anybody's bit, but you know, he said he quit smoking weed for two weeks and he said, all food doesn't taste good. <laughs> so, and I think he's right on the money because it really helped me with my anxiety Immediate, I had bad GI problems, overloading or under amount of hydrochloric acid in my stomach, so it helped with that tremendously. And I just you know, was a more mellow dude to say the least. And so that kind of helped my hierarchy with friends. I was just a lot more chill and, you know, easier to get along with, I think. And then, yeah, it, it became my kind of easily go-to. I didn't need any medication. I didn't need anything for my stomach anymore. You know, at a very young age, I realized that God wasn't sitting there on the seventh day and said, shit, that left pot everywhere. You know, <laughs> you put it out there for us to use. And, you know, that's Bill Hicks, by the way. There's there's no abundant, no other plant that grows so abundant in so many different ways. I mean, think right. It. Like, there's 7,000 strains of marijuana, thankfully, to some of us breeders. But, I mean, you could litter the whole country with it and it would go nuts. I mean, it's called weed for a reason. Now, when you want to grow really good stuff that, you know, you get very scientific with it, the course, but all these backwoods guys and most of the old timers quote unquote, they just throw their stuff out in the damn Creek and never trim it, you know, go out there and cut it when it's ready and trim it and throw some bubble gum in there. So it gets a little flavor, you know, <laughs> it, was a, it was funny listening, growing and listening to those guys learning from them, but. Um,
1: Can we get, get into that a little more? Because I, I have, I have some minor experience with that. I mean, growing up in a, a state where it was illegal, you know, there wasn't really that much of a culture around it. But, you know, when you said backwards, my ears rang a little bit because I smoke backwards, it's but funny, right. But also, you know, my dad used to, and I don't want to out my dad, but he's good now. He, he used to, he told me that he used to throw weed into like a PVC pipe and grow it in a tree, or not a PVC pipe, like a bucket, you know, like a plastic bucket, Uh, like a 50 gallon or so on, whatever. And and hoist it up in a tree and grow it up there because they're growing in like places where other people come by and go for a walk, you know, with their dog and stuff.
2: (laughs) And they're just growing in the park over there. They're like, look at yeah. that monument. Look at that dope. <laughs>
1: yeah. Just hoisted up in an oak tree somewhere, you know, catching the sun. But I
2: fucking love it, man. I've heard of a lot of shit and I've built some gorilla groves so to speak, but that's, that's great. I've been to some places in Cali and Oregon where like you go out there and all of a sudden you see all these barrels and you're like, what the shit is with all these barrels? And some dude went out there. And just fill them up with plants and an old window from whatever you know trailer they used on top of each of them, so they made a little mini greenhouses with these plastic barrels mm. and I mean there's hundred and fifty of them up there huge huge plants, the glass, and I've seen Asian grows different grows in different parts of the world where they you know they'll just use a bag, just a little bag of soil that you would buy they two pounds, three pounds whatever, and they'd get. 500 of those and they light them up they light you know in one big room and they'll put 500 plants in one room and i'll be damned if they don't still pull off some good harvest growing out of the damn bat yeah <laughs> they're perforated for that reason i had no idea until i found that out you know so many tricks and you know ed rosenthal was the god i think he wrote the batometry in 74 or something like that and that could be raw, it could be 64. It's a really old book, but it still holds to this day. There's, there's recipes I use it today from that book. You know, it teaches you to use dish soap as a surfactant, you know, if you want to mix an oil and a water product together, drop a we will do it. And then you can spray that on all your plants, you know, so learning all these little shapes. Ch- ch- tips and tricks that really came from the old timers who were very, very secretive back in the day. I mean, if you were a grower, you could go to jail, federal jail, growing cultivation was a big, big, big deal. We were, I, I attribute it much to glassmaking. I mean, you, when glassblowers started, it was all in Murano, it was all in Italy. And if you left that island with that knowledge, they just killed you out. They didn't even mess you, they just killed you. Uh-huh. And it's the same, I think it was the same thing. They didn't want anybody getting out with weed knowledge. Number one, everything was illegal. So you didn't want any other growers, you know, around you bad for business. So getting in, you know, my botometry book for God's sakes was passed down four people and it had great notes in it, you know, really good glyph notes all over it. Don't do this, do this, blah, blah, blah. And I, I I mean, so went for that book. Because every, every place is different, you know, I've grown in five, six states and every single one's different, so. It, it's it, over where you're at. You got a lot of moisture this time of year. You got hot buildings and cold areas. And so the, the condensation is a real pain in the butt and getting your humidity is a real pain in the butt up there. You know, I think other than that though, you guys don't have many bugs. You know, the soil content was pretty nice. Connecticut last time I heard very nice fertile area, you know, not a lot of cattle, so it didn't get sprayed. You know, there's a lot of factors you think about, and that's a, it's actually a good place to be a good, good, decent place to run year-round crops up there, but go legislative, right? Got to gotta mm. get, get these feds to stop being dicks and let me use a bank, for God's sake.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, there is, you know, more legality up here, but, you know, they're trying to give all of the government-sponsored grows a head start. They've made it, I think, illegal until like twenty twenty four or five in my state to grow uh, recreationally in your own home, even though it is uh, recreationally legal now. They're giving really? you know, they're giving the you know leg up for the corporations to get started. That's basically
2: wow. Yeah, they're gonna they're gonna really be able to monopolize on the the market there. They're doing the same thing in Texas. They tried doing that in las vegas and nevada and it didn't work it just blew it, it, it was a cascade they couldn't control so they had to just let it go mm, already um,
1: too well established
2: oh man yeah that i mean freaking nevada you know <laughs> I mean, they, they had it going long before they mentioned legality so it was a easy easy fit is easy tax fix for them to same thing texas is going to benefit huge but they're only letting philip morris sized people come in you got to have a, a five-year book of business in a similar industry you got to have i think a five million dollar annual you know gross profit in that industry with a provable p&l i mean but when i was reading what they needed i was like Phew. I think I got that far, and I just threw it over my shoulder like Chevy Chase. You know? <laughs> like, see you, see you later, Texas. You know, <laughs> yeah, bye bye. And yeah. then you got places like California that just rape everybody by coming in, and you know, you got a broker for this, a broker for that. You can't sell direct to from a grow to a dispensary. You got every Joe Blow, mom schmo putting their fingers in the pie and not doing any of the work, and they just squeezed this all out. You know, same things going on in Colorado right now, but mushrooms are safe in that state, which kind of leads me to that. And I mean, golly, what microdosing has done for me and others, and then it, so, tell know, us a little bit wow. about
1: that because I I had a past guest on uh, Megan Kush, she's really uh, a fierce sort of warrior in this realm. She's fought for legalization in California, Washington State. She's been doing it for. Many decades, and yeah, that's one of her big things. She's getting behind now is is microdose psilocybin, and it's you know according to her very helpful for vets. And I've had a couple of vets that reach out to me and said that they really liked that episode in particular, and they were going to try it. So yeah, man, I, I definitely want to learn well, more. We
2: can we can definitely rap about that for a few. I used to own a company called Cogni Life with some partners of mine, and we focused intensely on neurotropics and anti-inflammatory neurological um, remedies when it came to anything natural we were helping kind of attack you know the Adderall slash Ritalin market because we all had kids that were going into that age where everybody was just getting pre-prescribed almost Ritalin at, at six seven years old if they're a boy and I said look I'm not doing that and so we went heavily into that market I, I own an R&D company by the way and a laboratory. So before I got into weed, I was a, a nerd there. And so we, we came up with some really good blends, tested them, easily worked better than Adderall, easily worked better than Ritalin, especially in children. And when we started this, a lot of those parents were vets, were current military or current first responders. And they were like, man, we sure would like something for us. And so we just Started making an adult version immediately, and that took over. Unfortunately, a company that named s- similar to Crabbit Labs bought everything out of my warehouse and kind of put me out of business and came out with a company or a name, a product called Cognizant that's selling like wildfire right now. But can't be mad, it's the best flattering thing ever happened to me. But going into that. I got to meet all these vets. I started working with Carrick brain I started working with you know Mission T- Kill Twenty Two. Uh, a lot of wounded warrior guys. Again, current operators, current Navy SEALs, retired Navy SEALs. A lot of, a lot of special ops. A lot of frogs. A lot of seals. They're, they had the most TBE or the most trauma neurologically from the NVGs. They're they're wearing twenty four seven night vision goggles. They're wearing. They're, they're stacked like sardines and a c130 just you know you know imagine riding a tricycle in a, on a gravel pit that's that's what that's what riding in a c130 feels like you're on a bench and so the 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 amount of traumatic brain injury the amount of PTSD the amount of frontal parental lobe damage that they were receiving was incredible and they had developed a couple of innovative therapies that just neurological center, and I was helping them with our products and different different regimens. But when we started with the microdosing, that's where I noticed the combination of microdosing with neurotropics and anti-inflammatories even more so improved the microdosing and how quickly the patients were receiving incredible results from the microdosing. Because we took the inflammation down and increased their neuroreceptor pathways and basically for lack of a better term oiled up the machine got blood to all the right areas of the brain again took down those the inflammation from those you know whatever injuries they had and so i've seen firsthand and i don't want to name names but these these guys have had movies about them okay blockbuster hits so to speak and they attribute their daily life today and Especially their wives. If you ask their wives, two micro. We had to fly a lot of them out to Mexico. We had to fly a lot of them to California before uh, Colorado became hip to the game, and Washington was hip, and all that. But you know, you get these guys on a a four day on, three day off, then a five day on, you know, four day off. What you kind of got to figure out your own off and on, so to speak. But I recommend starting it five days because you're just starting it. We're trying to get a good uptake of the psilocybin in your system. If you smoke marijuana, that's gonna affect it as well. You're gonna you're gonna feel higher uptake of it. But a microdose in itself should never be more than point 0.1 gram or hundred milligrams in itself so a tenth of a gram is is what I would recommend for anybody you know unless you're a, a real small person you know and starting with that dosage you can kind of if you feel anything of it physically you took too much you need to dial it back you need to only feel the internal happiness the suppression of you know depression and the other you know progressive effects from it um, and you can notice those almost immediately, but most people notice them on about day three. And especially people who have never experienced it, psilocybin in the past. And, you know, you want to you wanna have a washout period. You know, it's, you can't utilize anything, honestly. I, I, all drugs should have a washout period. But, so that's why we take days off. And then that, those days off allow you to reset your own internal factors, so to speak, around your your reset that you're doing while you're taking those those neurotropics and the the psilocybin microdose, so there's a lot of research out there i'm sure that can be found on it you know we we see a lot of a lot of new stuff out there all the time and i would go with university driven white paper driven things but personally but i think starting with a tenth of a gram is is really just the way to go and I, i haven't been to colorado since they've legalized it so to speak up there medically but I'm sure there's some pretty easily obtained things there that are already dosed out really well in a natural format and I recommend it I've done it myself I do it for about a month month and a half at a time and then I just stop and I kind of know my body just tells me it's like you know what you need to do that you know it's, it's time you're you're having too much anxiety you're having too much stress you got to reset your cortisol levels. I mean I think it really really regulates hormones in ways we do not understand. I think it I think it regulates neurological pathways in ways we don't understand. And right. so until someone in a big university can put some money to that, which they don't want to because anybody can grow it in their freaking house, you know. So it'll never get a study like that. It'll never happen. Same thing with curcumin. You know, curcumin can replace aspirin worldwide. We've less liver cancer, less issues, less heart issues, all kinds of things. But they're never going to tell everybody that because you can buy curcumin at the grocery store or turmeric, you know? So it, it, it makes no money. It doesn't make sense for them. And, you know, we're all fighting big pharma here, quote unquote, but it's, that's just it in a nutshell. It's too cheap and it's not a, uh, thing that they can serve you on a platter for millions of dollars through insurance companies to make their their profit. So they're going to say it's bad and people who don't understand it, you know, slap it down. So, right. Yeah. uh, We keep pushing, right. We keep pushing along and fighting a good fight.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's devastating. You know, that these Big blockbuster films can be sponsored by the CIA and all these other three-letter agencies to portray the military. But when it comes to actually helping these guys out, you know, nobody nobody wants to come and uh, put that kind of money behind something to help out those it's, communities. So, yeah, I hope that this psilocybin, you know, becomes more widespread really as a therapy.
2: I'm sorry to cut you off. It's sickening to me the way that they put these people back into assimilation, into uh, population. It is a decommission that should be restructured immediately. It should be, you know, just completely demolished and redone, especially these higher level spe- spec ops and Seals and, and frogs and, and teams guys, I mean, Jesus, they come out of there so fried. It's I've never seen anything like it. I mean, and the, to be just disregarded and put it on a VA wait list and have no hope, you know, or little hope of getting any kind of good services from your own freaking government, you know, shitting on you. And we got to really raise awareness for, you know, Companies like Kill Twenty Two and and you know those other companies I don't want to mention you know but they're great in giving money and assistance to those guys because we just don't have enough places for them to go you know and get this assistance and that's that's the saddest thing about you know one of the saddest things about America in my opinion is how we treat our elderly and our veterans. Right. We gotta,
1: well, you know, it reminds gotta, me of of what I've been reading about in this MK Ultra book. I mean, and that's particularly nefarious when you look at the origins of uh, the use of some of these drugs. Obviously we're both, you know, supporters of plant-based medicines for sure. But, you know, I definitely, you know, take acid anymore. I did, I had a period in my life where I took it a couple times, you know, and, and in hindsight with all the research I've done, I'm like, wow, yeah, that could have been weaponized. And, you know, I obviously trusted the people I attained it from, but you know, that's still these things are made in in big labs, and yeah, maybe there were good intentions, and but I, here's the thing I, I want to pose to you is because I always jump around with this idea in my head. It's like, do you think that it was weaponized against us the way they the way they had planned, or do you think that their plan unraveled on them and it kind of stop being used in that way because they realize acid really wasn't doing anything but enlightening people and not mind controlling them like they had hoped.
2: That's a a good one. And it's, it's almost like Kennedy conspiracy esque, you know, like how, how deep did MK Ultra go? And, you know, you, you look at the history of things and Ram Dass and Timothy Leary and, and the, the people on the forefront from a doctoral, chemically-based, scientific-based group, and that's who you're talking about. And uh, there's other people I'm not mentioning, I'm sure, but whenever you take anything and derive something to create the same end response, okay? Whether it's, if it's synthetic or, or natural, it, it that's all all the difference in the world on how your body assimilates it 100% because if it's synthetic you're going to have N adverse reactions in the spleen the liver the kidneys and all kinds of other places because it will not process the same you may have the same end result or even a better one for instance ascorbic acid is vitamin C there you would have to eat 50 oranges to get your daily intake of vitamin C if you did not have ascorbic acid. So, from acid standpoint, you had these guys who created something for the government. You know, this was actually done overseas. You, you go pretty deep. I'm sure you know all about it, but not to do go into the history. But that I think in itself it worked long before MKUltra. Ultra. It was working in, on a soldier level long before you know we knew about it because Germans were using it on you know, suicidal SS missions, you know, all kinds of stuff, not just acid, but speed, of course, too. And so I, I just, I think, yeah, I think it's still used today. Now, you, you look at the Oklahoma City bombing, you look at Ted Bundy, you, Charles Manson, who else, Who? what's his name from Waco, Koresh, every single one of them was in the military. Every single one of them had some sort of, correlation or some sort of relation to either that cia program or a derivative one from that program every single one of them even ruby and what's his name in dallas the guy who shot kennedy he was seen with with freaking manson i mean there is a lot of stuff that they don't put together that, that it's all military based and it continues today. Um, you know, it definitely continues today and it's just higher, better forms. You got to think by the time you and I were taking it, and I don't know your age, I won't give that up, but I'm 43. I mean, I was taking gel pyramids. You know, it was being processed and produced in forms to attract the youth. And in such elegant club drug fashion way, it was great, you know, know
1: that's interesting. I'm sure that
2: they were were just little gel caps, but they were, they looked like pyramids. They were called black pyramids, but that you would break them into pieces. They were probably two millimeters by two millimeters, real small. And that would melt under your tongue. That was, that was before a fast melt, you know, like a strip or something. Right. And so that would leave it under your tongue and, I mean it was damn near instant wow bunch of that stuff in Colorado you know where I w- was in my early 20s and that that area was just flooded with it and the shrooms were back then were just incredible and so clean and but yeah I don't I think it's definitely being used today on multiple levels and and not just acid I, I think they stopped using quote-unquote what we would consider acid I think that's evolved in the you know probably something that's given via the eye in a, in a eye drop form i would I would, su- I would as a chemist want to have it in the most compact and easily given form possible that will go direct in and that skips every ingestible organ you have to go through so i bet if we started confiscating visine more you'd have a lot more people in trouble. Wow, yeah, I mean,
1: with the whole espionage thing, though, it is interesting to think maybe somebody could just drop a little bit of, you know, acid in your your drink or even in your eye if they hold you down, yeah, or your contact lens if they get in close enough. But, yeah, wow, I've been reading a lot of Richard Spence and Walter Bosley's work lately, so I've been kind of getting into that whole world. But, yeah, man, fascinating fascinating stuff. I definitely, you know, like I said, I I kind of shy away from the man-made stuff, but it, you know, past guests on the show, Gordon White, when I told him about, you know, the DMT that somebody had offered me, he was like, yeah, next time just try it, you know, just, just give it a whap, you know, give it a shot. He said it was, (laughs) it was, you know, a sort of like a mystical technology paraphrasing. I don't know if he said that exactly, Mm -hmm. but yeah, it's definitely, you know, a realm that I think borders on conspiracy but at the same time you know i don't know if they can uh weaponize consciousness in that way you know it's it's kind of like this experience that breaks open the doors of perception you know i, I just it's uh, it's interesting it's well a-
2: i believe it was on one of your shows i was listening to recently about consciousness i can't remember if matt It was another Matt. I actually, you guys were getting pretty deep to tell you the truth. I was listening to it this morning, I believe, and you were almost getting a therapy session over there. (laughs) Oh, maybe Tim Grimes, Tim Grimes. That's who it was really good show by the way, but yeah, he made some good points. And then I started, it spun me off a couple of rabbit holes too, listening to it. And I was like, you know, it, 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 I wanted to bring up video game theory, you know, and I think it's, it's very, very interesting. I think it's my newest thing to really dive into, so to speak. But
1: Tell us about it.
2: Well, I mean, there's. I'm very new to it. So first of all, I hope I don't mislead anybody by any means. But think of it as life as a video game. Okay, think of the user has a disc or a something, even if it's a download. It's already pre-written. Every every scenario possible you know according to that game at least is pre-done it's you know it's very newtonian physics it's very you know mechanically constructed if you will but you know obviously a technological platform we've never seen now that being the case you know everything is already written you know and it would explain multiple things, you know, we're finding nowadays, you know, there's when you record something on a very, very high resonance in a vacuum or something like that, you're, we're finding that it's a song, each, each tuning fork or element or anything, it's not just a, a one, one harmonic, for instance, like one tone, it is a set of tones, very similar to like a song of a whale or something like that, so... What what does that tell you right there? That science to- tells you that everything has its own individual pre-written tune. Mm. Okay, and so if that's the case, <clears throat> and we're 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 proving this over here, and we're we're proving it in a digital world too, what stops it from, you know, it's, you still have free will in a video game. You could still, you know, Grand Theft Auto the car and, <laughs> and do all kinds of GTA shit or you know, go be a cop in GTA. So I I, I like to use that as an analogy because it's so broad and that that, you know, with the metaverse coming out here, it screams to me, you know, this this theory has more solid foundation than whatever, you know, most things. It it, it blends with the matrix simulation theory, obviously, you know. Mr. Smith theory, for instance, Agent Smith, whatever, just by mentioning a different idea, you can make Agent Smith morph into someone right in front of you anytime you want. And you can test this by going into any bar in the world and taking four of your best friends and go ahead and mention 9-11 was an inside job and watch Agent Smith come out of all, you know, three out of four of them. (laughs) And you know what I mean? And then you'll have one that Neo, and he's going to sit there and say, okay, I got you. He's taking the red pill, you know, but it's, it's exactly that case. You And in the video game theory, I think it's very, it's easy to explain reincarnation. It's easy to explain all these things if you're in that quasi Newtonian physics world that has been pre-written um, from the dawn of time. And, Here's the thing, you know, that's the case, right? Every actor has acted in, in every film since the beginning of film time, right? So we're just recycling these people, you know? It's the same actors that are acting in, you know, 1910 as they were in 2010, just kind of recycle. And you can even look, you know, in physical stuff and kind of see that uh, that theory as well it's kind of strange but it, it, it makes a lot of sense and I, I'm very poor at explaining it but I'd, I'd love for to hear someone else's theory on it and, and what they think about it because it's so new but you can't deny that we've all you know deja vu is a daily thing now not just for me I'm talking for everybody you know i I talked to a lot of people it's almost daily for everybody and I think that we're recognizing so much poor programming in this video game slash matrix simulation that it's we're waking up by the dozen. And I also feel like we're, you know, at the end of that cycle. We're here for this purpose. So we pick this this game. You know what I mean? We picked this we pick this scenario, we pick this in game, we picked all this. This is the, the grand finale, the final battle, whatever you want to call it. And I'm pretty sure, you know, when you, ta- you were talking about time and, and consciousness and where that goes, right? Well, Benjamin Franklin mind-fucked everybody on the planet, okay? He mind-fucked y'all, by <laughs> going, you know, putting everybody on Gregorian calendars and, you know, telling you that, that now it's 365 days a year, got 24 hours a day. And keep our farms up, you know, blah blah blah. It's all for farming, okay? Well, in essence, what that did, we lost I don't know how many thousands of hours and days, millions of hours and thousands of days of time on your calendar. Now, if you take all those days, those hours, those minutes, I'm sure you know this, but and you you, you calculate it up, guess what year we're in right now? Tell Just me, take a wild one, 20, fucking 12. So, <laughs> We lost all those days, all that those hours and in time. Instead, of by cutting that time short, cutting the year short, cutting the the day short, right? So, if we stayed off of that Gregorian calendar and we did not follow Benjamin Franklin's time zone bullshit, we would be in twenty twelve right now. Right. So, kick that one around for a little bit, and I mean, and that's math that anybody can do that. Do that. You know, so where does your consciousness really lie, right? (laughs) You may think it's 2020, you know, we don't know. We have been instructed that. that So it's up to us to to quantify that in our own minds. And you want to just absorb it and sleep or, you know, take the fucking red pill and have fun.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and with the new Matrix movie out, which I have not seen, and I probably won't see it unless, you know, it becomes freely available somehow. I don't really watch many movies, and as I say that, you know, I have been watching more lately, but... I don't know, just something about it. I'm like, yeah, I get it. You know, Matrix, you know, I've heard it a million times. But I definitely have had a similar conversation with my friend, Sean Beaupre. Maybe we can link you two together for a deeper conversation into that because he has a very similar theory about video game simulation stuff. And I've said this many times. I kind of had a, a gripe with the with the model just because I feel like with the pervasiveness of computers and that technology, I, I just don't think that, you know, talking about that model without giving the clarification that like, oh yeah, but the universe and God isn't a computer. Like, I don't know. It just, to me, when we talk simulation theory, maybe I sound like a, a huge like nerd or a wet blanket or something, but I try to always bring that up because I feel like, You know, that might be what the, you know, dark forces of evil, so Mm -hmm. to speak, are trying to get us to think, you know, forget that there is something really human about the creator or something really heart centered about the creator. Maybe it's not anthropomorphic, but clearly... There is something intelligent that we share with the designer of the universe. You know, I don't have to be Christian to come to that standpoint. I think I came to that through cannabis and, and also kind of marveling at all of these various things that we've talked about today, you know. And and I, I think obviously people can make their own decisions when it comes to that. But, yeah, it's pretty clear to me that I'm not in a physical computer now, that's not saying that our reality doesn't act like a computer. And I think that's kind of how computers got invented in the first place, you know, because the reality and the way that the physics of our universe works came first. And these computers are like little uh, fractals of that somehow.
2: Well, our quantum computing capabilities today are absolutely phenomenally incredible. What they will become shortly will be scary. And I think it's already a little scary personally, but the way that our spirituality and the family as a whole has been taken away, stripped from us, our, our religions are bad. Our, they're all lies or we're told now they're lies there. You can't trust the media. You can't trust TV. You can't trust anything. And I, my, I hate the fact that my kids don't have any stability in this world. and you, you can't grow up and wor- just worry about Saturday morning cartoons. These kids are already worried about COVID. It doesn't matter, you know. Um, and so we've stricken the word family from Congress. You can't say that in Congress anymore. You cannot say a lot of other words in Congress anymore because they do not want to recognize the family unit. And it's the diminished, they've already taken church out, religion out, and now they're just diminishing the family unit to where we are all individualized and owned by the state. And those of us who recognize the fact that they're doing that is one thing. It's those of us who also act upon it by self-actualization and realizing that, hey, okay, the Bible has how many versions? Maybe I should question that a little bit, seeing that they took out full books and omitted things, changed so many things over the years, you should question certain things. Now, from a phil not a philosophical excuse me, philosophical standpoint, we could argue semantics all day on religion. But what it boils down to is certain religions they all have Similar stories, okay? Now, when you put all those things in a nutshell, whether you're, just like we were talking about synthetic versus natural elements, regardless of how you're getting there, you're still getting to God or creator or sender or Allah or whoever. Now, in some cases, it'll wreck you. In some cases, as the radical Islamic or... Jew or any of those radical Hindu, you know, people, you're going to come out with some bad apples, and there there's there's going to be radical things done, and you're not going to get to radical Christians
1: eventually.
2: even, right? <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. More people have been killed in the name of God than any other name. Okay, don't forget that. You know, there's there's books of the Bible where God kills ten thousand babies at one time. Books of the, or verses in the Bible where, you know. God kills single babies all the time. I mean, you know what? Again, what we have to do is self actualization and do take our own inventory, quote unquote. Do the do the inner work to realize that you are human. You you need to feel love. You need to feel all of these emotions. But this fear that we're all feeling, that's coming from uh, the same place. And when we recognize that and address it as fear and we don't live in that fear, you just, you live in love because they can't do shit about love. No one can do anything to you when you're, when you're in that harmony and you're, you're on that vibration. There's nothing that can touch you. And they figured that out. So they took that out of religion. They took self actualization out of all, all religion. They don't want you to know that you're, you, simply as a human more powerful than anything that's ever been created. Right. And those of us who are waking up are realizing that it's it's a consciousness. It's an overall awakening of people similar to us that realize that it you know, God is us all, in us all. And it's reaching that that inner worth and that inner vibration, whatever you want to call it, that 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 awakening moment that you realize that it's, it's all you. You're the one who creates everything in your world, 100%, you start thinking about a Tesla or whatever it is you want, eventually you're gonna subconsciously start making decisions and rational modes to get to that goal. And, you know, how you wanna classify that? I don't know, because it's not free will, even though it is free will. It's subconsciously controlling your own destiny. And right. that, that, is, that is kind of a very broad way that I feel about it, but I do feel that God is in us all. Satan's in us all. That's our shadow. That's all the worst things you've ever done that you're ashamed of, and you know, you've got to face that as an adult or a human being, period, in order to feel the guilt, the shame, the, the fear, the neglect, the hatred, the everything to appreciate the joy and all the love that you you need, you know, and that you, you deserve. And you cannot appreciate that unless you've been through the shit, the hell. And that's where I think we're at right now, is in hell. We're very close to it. Learning the lesson that we chose to learn, that we jumped into this video game for, and are you know, exhausting our, our many extra lives that we've been getting over the last few years.
1: Right. So you mentioned precognition and as you mentioned you know we we are in crazy times possibly even 2012 I I was saying that back in 2020 And yeah, I don't know. Maybe it just gets pushed back every, you know, however many years, or maybe it really is that way. But, or, you know, my math was just off or whoever had said that their math off, but either way, you know, I think, (laughs) well, either way, you know, we're living in crazy times. So given that you have experienced precognition, you have, you thought, you know, very much into what we think we might expect from 2022, what. You're expecting from 2022? What do you think we can face here in the next year?
2: Well, I don't want them psychic or anything like that. I don't get visions like a lot of people. I kind of mine a very short distance, I'd say, time-wise. But that being said, I just don't feel like anything crazy is imminent right now. I don't feel, I kind of feel things just calming down quite nicely over the next six months or so. And I think we're going to see something to do with money, something to do with our own federal reserve and a world banking system. I, I, I think that's fairly, not just my, my, you know, internal fear, but something that is on the cusp because of the world in itself and what they've set this plan, you know, pandemic so to speak up for. So mm, right. I do feel like we're going to see some economic fuckery, so to speak. You know, <laughs> I don't think the market's going to crash. I think that some large corporations are going to start banding together. And I think when that happens, just as Amazon and other ones do, you're going to see a lot of other small corporations that just cannot hack it at that point. And it, it, it monopolizes but it also exterminates and as they do that you know we'll we'll just see a little bit more and of uh these amazonian conglomerates just kicking us. i mean i'm curious as to why bill gates is buying all this farmland you know i really am am very very curious and and would love to know if anybody knows anything more about that but and it's not just him, but we've got just big companies buying everything small up land-wise that really didn't matter last year. You know, no one cares about 10 acres, you know what I'm saying? Like, And they're buying it all up. And it was some sort of package that Biden helped put together as well. So if anybody has any news on that or information, I'd love to know it. But I, I feel like that has something to do with what's coming up this year. And you know it's just going to be some sort of economic hardships I think for a lot of a lot of people. <clears throat> but other than that, I think it's going to be kind of gravy. I'm kind of looking forward to to it. So hope everybody else is.
1: Right on. Yeah, I I certainly am. I think the podcast is is going in the upward direction, and yeah, what do you got going on? Anything that folks can follow up on a social media page that they can reach out to you on and and let you know how they felt or or maybe even connect because you know what you talked about today was very touching. I'm sure people can relate in the audience but or or maybe even any final thoughts.
2: Oh, I appreciate it man. Alpha Centauri nine six six that's me. I'm a goofball and I don't have very many posts. I really just follow people and kind of do research and chat online. Not very social, but yeah, that's, that's me on, um, TikTok. So I'm there as far as, you know, reaching out. That's probably the best way is just DM me there, but I do a lot of stuff on uh, Instagram on our uh, company page as well. So We've got Emerald Ohana Farms. If you guys look that up, we're eohanafarms.com. And you can see some of our products. We haven't updated too, too recently, but we've got a lot of good things. So if you're in the Oklahoma area, anywhere in the state, you can find our products kind of from north to south. So I want to kind of pump those a little bit. But other than that, yeah, just living the weed life out here in Oklahoma and looking forward to... uh, Switching to the glass life, I'm, I'm plugging in a new glass blown shop near Ardmore, and gonna kind of just kick back and teach teach people how to do that for the rest of my time on this planet. And instead of stressing out about it, the daily grind, so hopefully we'll have that up and going in about four or five months.
1: Right on, man. Yeah, and I I definitely I didn't expect that from Oklahoma. I don't. I think I went through Nebraska. I don't remember if I went through. Oklahoma on my way through the Midwest but yeah brother it's been a pleasure talking to you for everyone listening thank you so much and have a great moment wherever you are in the now this month our podcast is sponsored by truth smacks the only trail mix for those walking flat earth go to truthsmacks.com to order some now Thank you, TruthSmacks, for supporting the show this month. Whenever you find yourself on the side of the majority, it is time to pause and reflect. This quote by Mark Twain was brought to you by TruthSmacks, the number one trail mix for those hiking the flat earth.
3: Welcome to another episode of Third Eye Awakening. I'm super excited to have Mark Steves here with me today to talk about spirituality, esoteric history, cannabis, and I'm sure so much more. I'm sure it's just going to go down a whole bunch of rabbit-holy directions. So, Mark Steves is the host of the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. And he's the booker for the Tinfoil Hat podcast, so he's like a low-key celebrity, basically. He's an avid researcher, martial artist, and overall iconoclast. So welcome, Mark. Thank you so much for being here and being willing to share your perspective with all of us.
1: I am honored to be here on Third Eye Awakenings. I can tell you that I wouldn't be where I am if I didn't put a concerted effort into awakening my third eye. So maybe we can get into how that all started today.
3: Yeah, I would love to. So why don't you give us a little little bit of a background on like, you know, who you are and how you got to be here, how you got to start your podcast. I love the name of your podcast by the way and what you do.
1: Sure. So I am <laughs> born in Connecticut. I just live my life, you know, as close as I could to nature. I've always been fascinated with nature even though I'm not particularly like out in the rural area. I'm I'm kind of in the suburbs, but Connecticut's woodsy. So I've always had access to uh, natural wild spaces. And I think that really has set the foundation for who I am and everything else kind of blossomed from there. Right now, I have the Pleasure of working for Sam Tripoli as well as Alex Sakaris. I'm Sam Tripoli from the Tim Foil Hat Podcast and Alex Sakaris of the Skeptico podcast. And I I mean, I just kind of use my podcasting uh addiction to use because I just love podcasts so much that I know all of these folks that should be on Sam and Alex's show, you know, so they have me hire or they have me reach out to people like you, Amy. Yeah. It's just a really cool job because it's full of synchronicities and you know, it's just life. I don't know. I don't have much to say about what I, what I've been up to lately. Cause I'm just kind of in transition. I'm going to see Sam perform comedy this weekend in New Jersey, which is exciting. But uh, my podcast really, Used to be a different podcast. It used to be called the Bud Triangle because my friends and I would sit in a triangle in a room with microphones that we all we bought. And this was before Zoom, before COVID. So we would just sit in a triangle and smoke. And I would try to tell them about all of my theories. Cause at that time it was hard to get them to listen to the podcast I was listening to. And but they were interested, you know, they just so we would smoke and talk about this stuff and as i started podcasting with more people and then i eventually podcasted with sam once or twice i realized i needed to shift the name cuz i was getting to fe- i was feeling like it was like a stoner podcast which is not who i am i i love weed but i don't want to be you know pigeonholed like that so I was spending a lot of time with my family because of COVID and I did a podcast with Sam on, on Zero, and we were talking and he was like, you know, you got to start doing more of your podcasts. I'm like, all right, I will. I took that to heart and I'm spending some time with my family and I was so excited because I'm like, oh, you know, Sam just hired me to work as his booker and they're like, Sam, who who's that? Like, (laughs) you know, like they don't know. Their their favorite comedian is like, uh, you know, Sebastian Maniscalco because he's Italian, like that's about it, you know, so so they didn't really get it. And this, as far as conspiracy and spirituality and all this alternative history stuff I'm into, like they've never most of my family like they they love me and they know I'm smart, but I can't get into a conversation with them about this stuff, you know so i share this really great news with them and i was a little disappointed at their reaction and i'm driving home that day and it just dawns on me like my family thinks i'm crazy like that that those words just came into my mind and then the thought of like oh sam thinks you should change your podcast name it just all hit and there it was and it it, you know, that's kind of what I'm setting out to do with my podcast is show people like, hey, my family thinks I'm crazy. And isn't that strange? Cause look at all the really profound, amazing stuff we're learning from all these great people I'm getting on the show. You know, i that's
0: kind
1: of like, I want to just prove myself through that, I guess. So just.
3: (laughs) I love that. I love that. And I totally relate. Like, I don't know if my, if sometimes I wonder like, Does my family actually think I'm crazy? I think probably, but I'm not really sure. But they definitely would have reacted the same way. Like just been like, oh, good. That's good. Like this doesn't mean anything to me. And I would have been like so pumped if I'd gotten a job working with Sam. (laughs) And yeah, I think it's funny the, the way that we get sort of lumped into like crazy or flaky or hippie or whatever kind of weird category when actually we're like, no but we are really interacting with life and like deeply trying to understand it and you guys are just like doing the normal thing (laughs) like the the crazy version of life yeah
1: yeah i will and then i actually used to go by hippie mark not of my own choosing but people used to call me hippie mark because i would you know wear these crystal wraps that i made and and i would have long long hair and This was when I was like in college and it kind of dawned on me like, okay, it's great that people respect and identify me with all these interesting things that I'm interested in, but it started to feel really fake because people were identifying me as hippie Mark and then they had all these expectations and it wasn't always a bad thing because some people really enjoyed the idea like, oh, here's this guy that knows all this stuff, you know, But the idea that you're kind of becoming a stereotype just didn't sit well with me. And it also didn't facilitate meaningful conversations as well as just being Mark, being myself and letting the universe bring those moments to me synchronistically. Because you almost force it when you wear it on your sleeve like that, you know? And I think the universe is so much more subtle than that need to force things, you know, because as soon as I just started looking within and, and caring about what was going on within, my outside got way better and I didn't need to wear crystals and I didn't need to, you know, dress a certain way because my reality actually changed and those real people were now vibrating on my wavelength. And that's what I always wanted, you know, really is just to be on a different wavelength than those folks that were kind of weighing me down because like the idea that my family thinks I'm crazy it's like well yeah they're the crazy ones right but they're not they're normal people and I've spent a lot of time analyzing this and the way I think of it is like as a human being we're put under so many different stresses and we're also put under this I mean propaganda campaign right I mean we know it well because we have an open mind to this stuff but those who get overwhelmed by the system and spend their life working in a job that takes away some of their freedom to have the critical thinking, right? Cause if your mind is spent working on all these things, you might not have the mental capacity to, you know, just fantasize about all this stuff or, or think about or entertain it. And on top of that, the food that we're all eating is not nourishing our minds. It's not nourishing our souls. So we're all running on empty, doing the best we can. And as soon as I took the time to start smoking cannabis every day, drinking clean, fresh water, eating organic food, I think that facilitated a change in consciousness that the people in my family haven't had the opportunity to have. So it's unfair for me to to say, oh, well, you guys are stupid because you don't think like me. No, that's not the case. It's just they aren't this far ahead on their path. This path might not even be something they're meant to go down. So I just try to be a beacon of light and, you know, be myself. And if my family is interested in anything I have to share, they'll ask. So I don't want to force it on them. So, you know, the show title might give the impression that I'm like a lunatic and I'm like trying to force my family to believe in aliens or something. But really, it's just comes from a, a more of a place of wanting to be accepted. And I think a lot of people can relate to that, you know, so that's why I named my show that really. And it's true to who I am. You know, it, I think. from Like I said, with with being so fascinated with nature. I always saw that that was more real than the matrix that we're living in. You know, I just had a really fantastic person on my show, Michael Juan. I'd love to connect him with you because I think you guys would have a great conversation, but he was telling me about how we have like this, these three layers. You know, we have base level reality. That's the natural world that we're all in. We have this matrix on top of it, which is like all of the words, all of the things that we name in our naming consciousness. And then above that is everything. And the, the, the where the two meet and it all connects and permeates, you know? And I think as a mystic, you not only are rooted in that natural world, but you see straight through the matrix to the all. And that's what gives us this kind of complete feeling, this really great feeling, this oneness that other people who don't experience that they sense it and they think, oh well, that they, they're they're really interesting, they're really spiritual, they're really they're a hippie, you know, <laughs> because they can't quite put their finger on it, so they're using their naming consciousness to try to identify why you seem different. And really you're just in touch with them. You're in touch with the all. You know, and they they just don't realize that they are too. They're just not actively in touch with it.
3: Yeah. I love everything that you just said. And I love I love the way you copped your head. Well they're like there's like they seem really spiritual. They maybe they're a hippie. Like totally. That's totally it. Like it's like just not being able to sense what spiritually connected people are able to sense. And so they kind of get caught in that naming consciousness of trying to understand it. And sometimes it's trying to understand it in a way that easily categorizes and dismisses it because they're so occupied, like you were saying, like it really isn't. I really appreciate you sharing that, that it's really not fair to other people who don't see The the matrix, like the false overlay and the propaganda and all the things, because totally it's created for the majority of us to not be able to see it. It's a net that's created to trap most of us, and we're you know very busy. Work life, career life is very busy, and and people don't have the time to critically think. Plus, I think we are carrying around shit tons of trauma collectively, personally, individually, collectively, and examining those things deeply also invites us to start examining that trauma and most people are just like I don't have the time I got to pay my bills like I just can't I can't open that can of worms and so I don't really want to hear about it but they're kind of like yeah like what is what's up with this person this hippie or this flaky person it's it's kind of like they're just trying to understand it I also really like the way that you described it because Recently I've started like seeing the matrix as a net. So it's like it feels like a screen, but it's a screen with holes in it. And and that's just that like some of us are able to see through that screen. It's not that we don't see the screen, it's that we see through it or connect through it into that that other layer of the the oneness. I think that's where we're all headed. I really do. I, I definitely think that there are some some souls that are just on a journey, a trajectory, like you said, that maybe that's just not part of it for them at this time, and that's totally fine. But I think that more and more of us, the waking up process is because more and more of us are able to sense beyond that screen. Mm.
1: Yeah, and, and I think when I say that, I mean, everybody comes to life And you know this very well. I I think this is something you talked about when you're on tinfoil hat. You make a decision to come into this body, you know, before. And you're in the spirit realm and you, you choose your parents and you choose your life. And we forget, you know, we come into this world and we forget that we made that choice. So, yeah, I think it's quite possible that some people made that choice to forget and to be completely enveloped in this world and maybe they're so fresh into it that you know someone who's lived many many lives and has the akashic record upgrades in their mind you know to have this recall of this stuff just seems completely foreign to them because they're just lower on the the evolutionary path you know because we're all spiraling towards creation or away from creation. I think that's something I've been thinking about a lot lately. But as far as my personal trajectory, I think the reason why I was able to find this place now was because there was a lot of trauma. And for me, I had this big, big misconception that all drugs were bad, all drugs were evil. And I in no way want to endorse cannabis. I think everybody has their own personal decision to make whether or not they'll smoke, but for me, you know, using cannabis and using this medicine changed my life really deeply and gave the intuition to go and seek out these answers that I didn't know I was seeking, <laughs> they were just there. That feeling was there and I couldn't describe it. And I've always said it's it it kind of wiped the slate clean for me to begin to look at the world and create a new perspective and kind of come out of that shell, that shell of all of the 16 years of growing up, all of the like, family misconceptions, like my family gave me about the world and like all of the trauma of being where I am and all of the, you know, just the the things that happen when growing up, when you're growing up, you know, I don't think suffering or trauma is to be avoided. I think it's just a part of being in this third dimensional reality and and accepting that is how you move forward, and I don't think I would have been able to accept it without cannabis helping me in some way. But I don't think that you need cannabis. I think with the right set and setting, you can do all of this completely sober. I think it's just where we are now, where I am now, I needed that medicine to help fight this environmental pollution that's going on in our energy field in our environment in our food you know and even in our relationships there's a lot of psychological toxicity that's existed for a long time and I think I'm not one of these like social justice warrior people who are like oh you're toxic you're toxic you're toxic you know but I do think that the ego has been completely idolized in our culture. I think ego and emotions that related to ego are really idolized and, and promoted. And I think that I've always reflected on that and tried to improve myself and avoid falling into those pitfalls. Because before cannabis, I just was, you know, blowing in the breeze and I didn't really have that much direction and anything that stuck to me was a part of me. And I think cannabis, like I said, wiped that slate clean and allowed me to look at the world and build a perspective, you know, rather than just being given a perspective.
3: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like create it deliberately, intentionally Mm -hmm. um, based on your own observation rather than just the default of the way that you were programmed based on your circumstances. Yeah. Yeah. That's super cool. And so, Was that, with the decision to use cannabis the sort of catalyst of your spiritual awakening, would you say? Or was it something that you brought on board because you were starting to, or because you had been experiencing a a spiritual awakening and it felt kind of intuitively like the right thing to help you anchor into it?
1: Well, I think martial arts pushed me into spirituality because at the time... I just wanted to be myself, you know, and in school, I didn't understand quite how to be myself. And when I would get into conversations or arguments or fights, you know, that didn't go my way, it would really be upsetting. You know, I would take it to heart and I I really cared about how other people saw me. So. I learned I started learning martial arts cuz I realized that not all of the people that I was hanging out with had my best intentions in mind, you know. So yeah, I was I there were some fights I got into at a young age, 14, 15, just like fist fights behind school and that kind of propelled me to want to not only defend myself but have more confidence in myself. So I found Bruce Lee and I found, you know, martial arts and all these different styles. But, you know, I emphasize Bruce Lee because his book, The Tao of Jeet Kune Do, I'm looking at it right now. I've had it for almost 12 years and it really means a lot to me. The, the first two, three chapters are all about philosophy and Taoism. And, you know, <laughs> I, I thought I was just learning to beat people up. you know like at first that's what it was it was like how do you beat people up you know how do you get good at at not getting beat up you know and as i learned more about martial arts i'm like oh wait the best martial artist in the world he's saying first you got to work on your mind and your soul and then your body comes third so i was like okay that makes sense i've been doing that i've been working on my mind i've you know i think i've been working on my soul i didn't really have much of a belief in God back then but Taoism really kind of showed me that my appreciation for nature was an appreciation for God and that connection really facilitated the growing of my spiritual awakening at first when I smoked cannabis it was just a really great feeling and then when I smoked by myself and the introspection and the reflection came in That's when I realized it was spiritual. It was groundbreaking. It was paradigm shifting because I had been told by my culture that cannabis was a poison. It would make you stupid and slow and dumb. And I was on the wrestling team at that point and I already done martial arts for a little while. And I thought, well, if this thing's not gonna make me, you know, better at martial arts and it's not good for anybody, you know, but. Then I realized Bruce Lee was using marijuana. I looked it up. I I, I looked did some research, and I, it was true. He he took marijuana. He, you know, was eating it and smoking it as well. Back before you know, most people did edibles, right? In the nineteen forties, I don't know how many people in the nineteen fifties and sixties were doing edibles, but. So yeah, Bruce Lee. And then of course, Eddie Bravo was another person who was like amazing jujitsu guy and his YouTube videos were so popular. And then you see him like on Joe Rogan smoking a bong and you're like, whoa, this guy like changed the game for Brazilian jujitsu and he smokes all the time, you know? And it's funny now for Sam, like, Eddie Bravo is buddies with Sam. He's been on tinfoil hat. So the synchronicities are there for sure. I don't know how much Eddie would like to think that I was inspired by him to smoke weed, but anyways, so, so yeah, that really just opened my mind to it. like, oh, okay. These people are using it constructively. It's not a destructive thing. And that made me realize that society is more destructive, right? Because they're lying to me they're going to war with other countries. And at that point, you know, with like a conservative grandfather and, you know, talking to me about all this stuff going on in the news, I thought the Iraq war was fine. I'm like, oh, whatever. You know, those terrorists were bad guys. So, you know, like that's how naive I was about all these things. So it really opened my eyes to 9-11 because I witnessed it. I only live, you know, 50 miles away from New York City. We all like got kicked out of school that day and they made us watch it happen on the, the TV, you know, live. So a lot of events started to come into my mind like, oh, okay, the wars, the terrorist attacks, the politicians, the pollution, right? You had the BP oil spill, all of these things, cannabis showed me like, hey, man, this is all bad. This is all happening because there are people in the world who aren't living with other people's best intentions in mind. And those people happen to be in control of a lot of shit, which is bad. You know, I mean, (laughs) it's bad. These people don't think from their heart. They think from their root chakra. If I can even give them that credit, in my opinion, I think all their chakras are probably calcified. But, you know, these people like at the top, you know, unless they're, Using darker occult, <laughs> most of them I would imagine are not spiritually inclined, you know? They're just in these big powerful positions because they're greedy or they had family ties or whatever that gave them that position. But we won't get too far into that. It's just cannabis made me realize like, hey, there's bad things going on in the world, you know? And yeah, from there, it just started, the ball started rolling. And where I fine-tuned it all was when I first was gifted. I became friends with someone through my martial arts teacher, an older woman who we, we didn't date or anything, but she was just really a great friend to me. And we connected over these spiritual books, right? One of them was the Carlos Castaneda, Don Juan, yaki way right so i get this book i start reading it and i became friends with her and she gave me these turquoise obsidian beads right they're not turquoise they're just the color turquoise Mm. and the crystal had such an amazing effect on me from there like it was like time had forward and next thing i knew i had Thousands of crystals, like, <laughs> yeah, <you> no, <know, laughs> like, <can> <laughs> you know, like I had six turquoise obsidian bracelet, and the next thing, no, my room's full of full of crystals. So that was like the the hippie mark, new age mark, kind of. I started learning about all this stuff with energy, and then the reasons why society isn't so great started to make more sense, right? Because, oh, here are these natural energy sources. Here's an explanation for why I love being in nature because it's pure, it emanates, it radiates this energy just like a crystal. It's easy to understand that when you look at a crystal, you're like, wow, this is so beautiful. It's so profound. Obviously this thing's radiating energy but when you look at a tree it might not be that obvious but it's the same thing you know and even with a living being you know whether it's a bug an ant or or a bird or or a whale you know they're all emanating this energy and our society is so full of this dirty electricity and steel and plastic and all these different things that don't belong (laughs) around us at least if they do they need to be more thought out so that they're less harmful but yeah it's it's contributing to the lack of spiritual inspiration I think in our culture and I I started to realize that because here was this little alcove of crystals in this little shop in West Haven Connecticut and it's a very popular shop. I'm sure if anyone's listening from Connecticut, they've been there. <laughs> Shout out to Connecticut. But yeah, it's a, it's a really cool little crystal shop, you know, and, and of course it's like witchy, you know, cause it's New England. So they have all the witch stuff and I'm not really into the paranormal, like ghost type stuff, even though that's like majority of what you'll find in New England when you come to a new england crystal shop it's like all like witch and werewolf and salem stuff but yeah i think that it just gave me this kind of like reassurance like hey there's already a whole community of people like you out there you know and i already had all these books that i've been collecting like so yeah, it's just been, it's been a series of, of synchronicities. I kind of feel like I, I lost track of my story, but when the crystals came into my life, I really felt like there was this new found ability and here, now I'm getting back on track, this new found ability to channel information. When I say that, I don't want to sound like I'm like, uh, you know, Esther X and like all that. No, I, I think what it is, is all of the books that I've collected and read started to really sit in my mind and channel through like, and my thoughts were so much more informed than ever before. And I really give Crystal's credit for that because when people At that age, you know, between the ages of 18 and like 23, when I would talk to people about this stuff, they would really be kind of impressed, like, oh, wow, you must know all this stuff, you know, like really well. And I I would say, kind of like, well, you know, I just have faith in my mind's ability to connect to something higher than myself. And I thought of it like my higher self. But as time went on, I started to liken it more to like an Akashic record, you know? And I think that these motifs and ideas and philosophies are all there in the ether. And when you align yourself and start to resonate with the natural human harmony, what it means to be a human being, to love yourself, love the earth, love your community, You know, I think then you can connect to that Akashic record. You know, you can, it's like the universe says, all right, you get it here. Take, take some, take some wisdom, you know, and that's really what happened. And I I think sometimes I would find myself sharing advice with somebody and it just came from a place of like, really it helped them but it didn't come from like something i had experienced it had come from like this other realm where i was saying something that i i knew was right it wasn't any doubt in my mind that what i was telling them was was something i believed in but it just wasn't something i had put together beforehand you know like it wasn't like i thought about it one night like oh and i'll say this and i'll say this you know it just all flows so naturally and I think in this past 10 years, we're all experiencing this, right? Flow state, consciousness, these are all terms that are way more available than they were when I was in high school. You know, like when I was in high school, the fact that I had like a totem every wrestling match, (laughs) my coaches thought I was nuts. But. It worked because I was a captain of my wrestling team and it gave me a lot of confidence, you know, and I held that like totem that I got from um, like some little kitschy shop and it was just like a jawbone and it had like a Native American kind of look to it. Like, some, you know, somebody had made it and they were probably a First Nations person, so. That was special to me, you know, and, and it didn't matter if that jawbone had anything to do with wrestling is the fact that like I got strength from it, mm-hmm. helped my conscious environment, you know, it aided my conscious environment. So, but I'm, I'm going all over the place. I, I feel like it's your turn to talk.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I love, I love listening to all this. And I I just feel like so much resonance with everything that you're saying. Like, the way that you were describing sort of accessing that flow state and just giving people a piece of advice or guidance or feedback or reflection or whatever that you could tell didn't really come from you. And you could tell that they were, you know, able to receive it is the way that I describe claircognizance. And I think a lot of people experience that more and more, and we don't necessarily acknowledge it because we, it's, kind of comes really naturally or it's really easy to dismiss but I I love that you said it's not that you're at home thinking this thought or you know off like it, in advance constructing this thought because when people ask me like how how do I know if it's my imagination versus something I'm receiving like you know psychic information that's the best way that I can describe it is like okay well feel yourself think a thought and we feel that it requires some effort to assemble it, and it's coming from your own biases, and everything gets filtered through our biases anyway. It's impossible to totally remove them. But whereas when you access that, yeah, that akashic field or that higher guidance, like a, like something that's flowing through you for the benefit of somebody else, and it's just using you as a as a medium, it's like you aren't assembling the thought. You're just allowing it to flow through and and you can't I often feel like well I really can't take credit for it because it didn't originate in my brain I just allowed it to come through and I'm getting better and better at allowing it in a cleaner way with more confidence in the fact that we're like making it less about me like being less worried that it's going to be wrong and just letting it be what it is and be received the way it's received and yeah, I think totally we were more and more people are gaining access to this. I think it's just, we've reached this like point of momentum where it's really speeding up a lot and it's almost effortless to tap into these things. All you have to do is have an openness and a curiosity and, and then it's just starts coming through.
1: Yeah. And on that point of like knowing if you're wrong, Right so you feel this energy you feel this method that's blooming right because it's not unique to me everybody can experience this right everybody can engage with the akashic field so the way i see it is like your brain is this amazing circuit board and every time like an organic circuit board let's be real with it because i don't want to
3: Yes, yes, totally.
1: As a man-made anything, but it's this organic circuit board. And every time you open up one pathway, like a thought about something, that opens up another pathway from source, right? So you're building this network in your mind of all these different pathways that source can channel information through you. You know, so that's why it's important to never stop striving to learn new things because you're not learning new things. You're remembering things that your mind had forgotten because, you know, I don't really subscribe to this theory. Like we only use 10% of our brain. I think that's BS. They're like, how
3: would we even know that? Who said that? <laughs>
1: exactly. But if you're going to go with that, let's just say that, there was a state of humanity where we were 100%, right? Yeah. And whatever happened, the fall, if you believe in that, now we're where we are now, we're in this state where there's a manipulation of our energy field, there's a manipulation of our cultural matrix, and there's a manipulation of our heart source, right? Because there's always, when empire gets involved, they say, well, we're the middleman between your hard source and God. So like, that's fine and all, but don't talk to God unless it's through us, right? That's pretty much what always happens with, with Empire. So I think once you start to recognize all these things, you build back towards what we used to be, you know, which was this enlightened human race. I think that human beings just need to be in the right environment you know we need to create the environment so we can thrive that we will thrive in and that's really how we're being stopped is our environment physically mentally and spiritually is being manipulated you know Uh,
3: i i agree with you completely i it's really interesting i'm doing so everybody on the podcast is going to be like oh this program that you're doing because i keep mentioning it but it's fascinating because it it's coming up like it's so i'm i'm running this program called the priestess portal which is a channeling these transmissions about the divine feminine divine masculine blueprint but from the perspective of the divine feminine and it's it's mind-blowingly beautiful and powerful. It's stuff that my human brain didn't know. So it's all new information for me. And it keeps getting validated in the conversations that I'm having that like, we, we have this blueprint and it's been corrupted along the way, but by corrupted, I mean, it has been exposed to various angles of damage, but it, At the same time, it's permanently whole. Like we just get to disengage from that program that, you know, like it's like we get to unsubscribe. Like, nope, I don't buy into this anymore. It's a mind program. Even the stuff that is happening to us physically, our physical bodies belong to us. It's a sovereign thing. They're ours. It's our energy. So when our mind becomes powerful enough to reject the program and just unsubscribe, then our body also gets to be released of all the toxins and all the, you know, calcification and all that stuff. But what I keep seeing is like human beings are so beautiful and divine and powerful. And, you know, like we're just living as a little shadow of what we truly can be, but that's where we're moving back towards. And you know, all we just re- received so much gaslighting, like we, basically we we take on because we receive this programming that we are to blame for all of the terrible things in the world. like humans are just garbage people. we're a garbage species, we war with each other, we hurt each other, we pollute our environment, we overpopulate, we use too many resources, blah blah blah, blah blah. But from my perspective. None of that's true. When human beings live in accordance with our true blueprint, we are in beautiful, beautiful integrated harmony with this incredible planet that we're on. And it's actually industry who is funded by those people with all the calcified chakras that are not operating from the heart center. It's industry that creates the plastics and the pollutant chemicals. and like I don't want to go to the grocery store and buy crackers for my daughter and have like five crackers come individually cellophane wrapped. That's not what I desire to do that I would like to, you know, but then our time is monopolized so that we can't all make our own crackers. And it's just we're in this system that's been created for us the system that pits us all against each other the system created patriarchy which hurts men and women together because we are all in this together it's not men hurting women it's like men and women are being hurt and being pitted against each other all the races are being pitted against each other there's just so many ways we receive this bogus programming and then we're gaslighted to believe that it's just because we suck and we should be ashamed of ourselves as humans but The human potential is absolutely like, it blows my mind and I know I'm only still receiving the tip of the iceberg because my human consciousness, (laughs) as it is right now, can't fully comprehend how magnificent we are.
1: Yeah. And, you know, at the beginning, we kind of touched on like, well, it's not fair to hold this ignorance against our families if they don't understand our enlightenment because the matrix is against them, right? The matrix against them. So we can we apply that same compassion to this so called 1%, this so called industry oligarchy, right? If you were in those shoes, would you be that greedy? You know, would you be that disconnected from your heart center? I think it's like, you know, we all as a human race, set this parade in motion. And the people at the parade are all going in the same direction, marching at the same speed, but some of us are at the front with all the nice stuff and the big floats and the fancy costumes, and the rest of us are in the back where there's sweat and horse poop and all that all the garbage <laughs> all, the, all the things that the people in the front are throwing back behind them as they're parading, you know, and yeah if you're in front of the parade, why would you move to the back? You know, like these people are born at the front of the parade. They don't con- they don't consider what's going on behind them because they're making all of these decisions based on how to keep this parade moving at the speed and the, you know, grandness that it's already at. So they want to control the gold. They want to control the minerals. They want to control the water. They want to control all these things because they've put themselves at the front of the parade, but they're not guiding themselves. They're not guiding all of us from yeah. their heart, you know? So I think it's going to take the whole parade to have to stop. I think, you know, they kind of t- did a fake version of that with this pandemic, you know, without getting too much into all that. But I think really what it what the hippie generation kind of did in the 60s, right, where they're were like, we're done living in the suburbs, we're going to go make communes, They effectively stopped the parade. They said, we're not going to follow the parade, we're going to go make our own parade, and that's can lead to problems too, because, you know, but I think that's ultimately what needs to happen, is we all need to disengage from this system as much as we can until that parade becomes just the front there and nobody cares and they're just wandering off
3: yeah. they're just walking along and they're
1: just going off yeah and that's and they out and no one sees them again you know, that, yeah
3: exactly they're, they're welcome to keep going if they want. We've created this whole other awesome thing over here.
1: And with their and with their paradigm that they're creating, they might just do that with Elon Musk's spaceship, right? Cuz they're going to create this false notion that the earth can't support them anymore. So they just need to go and find a new planet and good riddance, get lost. Like let us let the earth grow and regreen, you know, because yeah. It's we're not going to need Elon Musk to do that. The people of the of the earth, the majority of the people of the earth are already living as close to the land as possible, right? The poorest people yes. living in literal dirt huts yeah, and literally building their houses out of the trash that flows down the river <laughs> from the rich people's communities. I mean, literally, we don't have that as much. In the United States until you maybe go to some of these homeless tents and, you know, it's, it's awful. But then like you go down to, you know, right below the border in Mexico, that Tijuana, that people are literally living in boxes, houses made out of boxes. So, and in India too, and, you know, so, and China, I'm sure. But either way, the point is, is that so many of us are already that close that, We can make that change. You know, we just need to give those people an option to recycle goodness back into the earth. Cause what are they given? They're given junk, plastic garbage, and they're, we're humans. We're striving to, we're always striving to survive. So they're taking what they have available to them, making the most of it. Mm -hmm. Imagine if all of these industries stopped creating plastics and started doing renewable resources and biodegradable resources. And these products actually had more value. And then those people can go back to getting value from their surroundings because they wouldn't be dependent on these big corporations who roll into their country and say, oh yeah, forget your jobs, come work for us. You know, don't, the the river's polluted anyways, you can't fish anymore. So you got to, you know, work for pennies building iphone batteries i mean think about it if we stop that system all of those people who are living in poverty because of industry can go back to living as stewards of the land
3: Mm -hmm. which is
1: what we're all supposed to be you know
3: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah totally and and i agree that like the ultimate thing or it feels for me anyways for me I always keep having to come back to that way of understanding how those people at the front of the parade are not inferior to me morally, because, you know, because I think it's such a dangerous ego trap that we get on that we're kind of seeing run rampant and out of control right now of the belief that, like, because of the way that I choose to live or the choices that I make, or because I don't do these things, I'm better than, but that then takes us further away from. The unity consciousness that will, I believe, is the direction that we're being called towards and that will allow all that healing to take place and all of that transformation of our society to take place. And I know not everybody's there and there are certain things that I struggle with a lot, but ultimately... I also, yeah, I try to like run that exercise of being like, well, how is it that they are like this? And how is it that, like, if I was in their position, I very well could be making the exact same choices and that I just wasn't born into that. And that wasn't, that's not my trajectory in this life, but that doesn't make me better as a soul. And I, I don't know, I just offer that out because I think sometimes in the conversations that I hear around it, we can get really stuck on, pointing the finger at the evil bad guy and they definitely are doing really evil, evil things. But as long as we're stuck pointing the finger, then we, it's just another way that we leak our power and our agency to create transformation from within.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think the only thing that you can do with darkness is shine light on it, you know, and, and being ignorant of all these things is mostly why, we don't know what's going on i think most people just like we talked touched on earlier are so busy trying to keep up with the parade that they don't know what's going on at the front of the parade they don't know why they're heading in this direction they don't know why their environment's slowly getting worse and worse and i honestly don't think that our earth is as fragile as we're being told i think our You know, earth is extremely strong and can chew us up and spit us out if she wanted to. Yeah. I do think that, you know, if we all just gave like, you know, I don't know if you noticed, but at the beginning of last year or, or a year ago, right? Last spring COVID happened and less cars were on the road, less people were moving around. And I heard more birds chirping. I saw more birds. I saw more bugs. I saw more mice. I saw, I saw so many rabbits. So many rabbits here. So, just that small amount of time of people staying out of the off the road, literally just off the road, gave the earth that much breathing room to like give that much back. So imagine if we took like more steps to disengage from this industrial mechanism that we're all kind of participating in. You know, unfortunately, the parade is really tantalizing, you know, because nobody wants to get left behind. But we can start our own parade going in a better direction, you know, and I think this parade metaphor is running itself a little... (laughs) Far now, but you get what I'm saying. <laughs>
3: totally, totally, and I agree. And it's really interesting. I feel like so many people are intuitively like wherever they are on their journey, whether they feel spiritual or like aware of conspiracies, or even just afraid about the the mainstream narrative. I feel like a lot of people I hear in conversation are being guided towards that. They want to, you know reconnect with the earth they want to reconnect with the process of growing their own food last year yeast and so of course toilet paper was hard to come by but the next things that were like impossible to come by were yeast and flour because everybody was like well i guess it just makes sense to start making my own bread products again And I started my own sourdough this year and it was great. And like, just even that, like creating those reconnections with the process of making food and just settling more deeply into that and not eating out as much and that kind of stuff. I feel like we're just being naturally called toward that. And it's the direction to go. The more that we connect with our humanness as being inherently integrated with like biological life on earth the more we, I don't know, we begin those healing processes and disconnect from that direction that we've we've been going.
0: Absolutely,
1: yeah. So I think the best I can do now is to advise people to get out in the nature and, right, as soon as you can, I mean, support your local farmers because that's how you disengage from the system. It starts with... Our, our food, our diet. I think industry, really, its invasion into taking over our lives happened in three ways. The modernization of clothing, which was probably one of the first, then food, and now entertainment, right? Because that's so pervasive. But That's always been going on. They've always been trying to entertain people and to shape their reality based on what entertains them. But I think food is the first thing. So like you go to your farmer's markets, you go to those farm stands because not all farmer's markets are great. Trust me. I worked at one for five years and now they're making everybody wear a mask. So don't go to the New Haven farmer's market. But the farmers there are great people and you can go straight to their farm and support them instead of going to the farmer's market. And that's my point. So wear a mask just long enough to meet the farmer, find out where they're located and and support your farms directly, because that's how you disengage from that part of it. And then, I mean, buying sourced clothing is getting easier and easier as time goes on. I think more companies are, are doing that. And that's a big deal because so many countries have been destroyed by our industries going there, building unfair things. And and, so start with that, you know, support companies that are fair trade that are not, you know, polluting and all that just hard. You got to do some research. So if you're listening to this podcast, you're already there, you know, start supporting this kind of entertainment and sharing it with your friends so that we all start engaging with podcasts and things that fulfill us rather than TV shows and movies and radio music. Like it's all that same, like really weak energy, right. Where they're trying to project weakness onto all of us and ego. And, you know, I think that's, that's really what I would say to, to be solution-based, you know, the end of my dissertation here
3: (laughs) (laughs) that's a great dissertation i totally loved it and i'm looking forward to that podcast episode of just like you know some of those options fleshed out for for listeners i think that's really cool so again everyone it's a it's the my family thinks i'm crazy podcast and all of mark's you know contact things are in the show notes his website his patreon his instagram Mark, thank you so much for being here and having this beautiful, beautiful conversation. We didn't even get into your third eye.